Hi everyone and welcome back to On Track Off Course, the racing welfare podcast. I'm Lauren Braithwaite and I'm here again with Tina Scargill and we're very excited to be bringing you a bonus episode on careers as part of National Careers Week. We've got a really exciting lineup on today's show. We're going to be joined by Luke Harvey, who I'm sure all of you will know. Um, We're also going to speak to the very inspirational Arvind Chidi um, about his incredible journey into the industry from growing up in a non-horsey background in North London. We're also joined by Hetty Keys, who talks a bit about the bloodstock side of the industry and her role at Tattersall's, and by Sarah Fanning, who heads up Racing Welfare's Careers Advice and Training Service. So it's good to be back, Tina. It's great to be back, Lauren. And this episode is absolutely fascinating. And some of the stories that we hear, like from Arvin and from Hetty, about you know how to get into bloodstock and careers advice is actually a, a huge part of what Racing Welfare do. And we have the careers advice and training service, which is not only for employees, but also for employers within the industry. And that covers everything from professional development to job searches and also those who are looking to return to work as well. Yeah, I don't think people realise the breadth of resource that's available to them from CATS. And especially since we've teamed up with care first that um provision has expanded again and there's some really great services careers coaching yeah the um, careers coaching is especially you know everyone now anyone who works in racing can access that those careers coaching sessions and they're worth doing for anyone we all have times where we we need a chat or we just want to talk to someone so it's it's well worth accessing anyone who works in racing who's listening You've had quite a big career change, haven't you? I mean, we've touched on it in previous episodes, but you were a point-to-point trainer and now you're here at Racing Welfare. So um, how are you finding it? Um, It's quite different. It's very different. I'm really enjoying it. I was always alongside my work with the horses. I was um, doing a lot of writing on the side, so it's good to be able to carry that on. I love doing that. And I really enjoy working for an organisation like Racing Welfare and feeling like I'm giving something back to the industry, um, which I love. I think that's why we're all involved in racing because we love racing and we love the horses. Exactly. um, It's that passion, isn't it? And I guess something that gives you a feeling of having a purpose and helping people. Yeah, that's exactly the right way of putting it. Which part is the, for you, it's the key thing that you enjoy well again for you, the same as you that it gives you a purpose and you're helping people but also um I do all the stats for racing welfare because I love a stat Tina the geek <laughs> yeah right um <laughs> it's interesting to see what racing welfare actually do and to see those numbers and particularly mm. through covid you know yeah, it's been incredible the the yeah. rise in numbers of people that have been supported I'd just say to anyone that um Stats and trends work really well in the Grand National, the Cambridgeshire and the County Hurdle. Okay, so, so I'll let you know when I've unearthed those. We'll all be making sure we're following Tina on Twitter in the build-up no. to any big handicaps this year. And no. she'll be giving you the winners. Definitely. For anyone that worked with me at the Racing Post, they are, I'm not a tipster. <laughs> 
So we have got a lot of guests to get through today, so mm. let's get cracking. I'm thrilled to say we're joined now by former National Hunt jockey, ITV broadcaster and most importantly point-to-point trainer Luke Harvey. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely no problems at all. Hi Luke, so we were just talking there before we started recording and you were saying that you still ride out every single day uh, alongside being a national TV presenter <laughs> yeah. um, the, the... and you're still training pointers. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I say train pointers is a slight exaggeration. I train one uh, because I, 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 you know, I don't have time. Um, I'm lucky that I'm really busy so, at the moment, so I don't really have time to to do more than one horse. I probably don't have time to do that one properly. But um, yeah, but I, I just really enjoyed. You know, some of my friends, Carla Wellen was my best friend when I were, when when in the weighing room together, and he never rides a horse anymore. But I would genuinely miss it if I didn't ride a horse. So. I, I like to ride out every day and I feel like when I'm talk, when I'm broadcasting, I, I feel a little bit more sort of qualified in that I know what goes wrong. You know, you're, you're on the eve, you know, when, in the build up to sort of Cheltenham or the Grand National, what have you, you always hear these, oh, Cerno's gone wrong. You think, well, how could it train the whole year and just go wrong, you know, five minutes before the race? But anyone that's had anything to do with horses knows what they're like and so <laughs> yeah. it could be an absolute nightmare and so I, I I've had loads of nightmares myself so so I I just it I feel better in myself for, for doing it you know for riding out and um point to pointing can actually be a nice way into the industry do you think yeah it, it's been it's been absolutely fabulous I I still think it's a sort of the hidden gem of racing because I I know it's been difficult the last you know, season or two seasons for point to point to pointing, but it's you're not many people outside the people, the normal people that go actually go point to pointing, and it's absolutely fabulous. It's, I would never on my day off, I would never go racing proper if you like, um, because I go all the time. But I'd always, even if I haven't got a run out, I always go point to pointing because I just like it's very competitive. It's, it's very professional now. Um, but having said that, there's still that sort of, oh, well, never mind. There's, there's next week. Let's go to the car boot and have an egg sandwich and a tin of lager, you know? So <laughs> I, 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 that's the sort of, that's the sort of bit I like about it. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been the, the grounding of, of so many jockeys, trainers that are, that are riding now. I think at the beginning of last year, I think it was something like 70% of the jockeys that held a license at that time had either ridden in point to points or started in pony racing. So it's not only good fun, it's an essential part of training horses and, and jockeys and trainers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Lauren used to uh, train pointers, so she's very passionate about it. But it's true, <laughs> I go racing all the time. I've worked in racing and I've actually never been to one. You shouldn't uh, have. So... That is really bad of you. <laughs> that is bad. <laughs> well, Lauren the... can take me. It's the thing I missed <laughs> most during lockdown. It's the thing I've missed the most is standing in a freezing cold field with my friends <laughs> and you wonder why I haven't been <laughs> I got absolutely drenched this morning I was wondering why on earth I do it but it's it, it's it's a nice thing to do I think I mean I assume you started riding in point to point then yeah I, I'm one of these I'm um, just very lucky people I, I think my mum had a diary when I was literally six or seven from school um, and I said I, I want to be a jockey when I'm older and then my whole of my life has just you know evolved around trying to get you know build up to be a jockey so as a child 
none of our, my family's not really horsey. No one else is involved with racing, but um, I just, that's all I ever wanted to do. It's probably to, a detriment to my schooling. Uh, so I left with absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. Um, and then I actually rode in a couple of point-to-points unsuccessfully but, uh, down in Devon. Um, and then at 16, I, I joined uh, a trainer called Captain Tim Forster um, at Leckham Bassett, where actually where Mark Brudstock trains now, where Coney Gree was trained to win the, the Gold Cup. So, um, yeah, and I've been around Lambourne and, and those areas ever since. I think, I think do you know, this is... I feel I've, I've got tremendously, you know, privileged life that I, that I lead now. But I can honestly say from when I was 16 to when I was 21, I did my horses at the time. We only used to do three or four horses. Um, they were the happiest times of my life. Getting up, mucking out. I had no responsibilities, no mortgages, didn't know any money on cars or, you know, and, and I spent every single penny that I had. It was just the best and all the people that were sort of I mixed with now, if even if we meet up, we haven't seen each other for 20 years. It's like we're best friends again, because it, it was just the camaraderie riding out. It was it was quite a sort of a, a master and servant relationship because the Captain Forster with his military background. So, you know, I went to comprehensive. I don't know what it'd be like going to a sort of a military college or, a, you know, a boarding school or something. But I'd imagine that's the sort of upbringing, you know, for those first four or five years and. I don't think you could ever have a, you know, a better time in, in, in any job. And, and, whether you, and whether you stay in racing, I genuinely believe it gives you a, a, a brilliant work ethic. You, you work with a smile on your face. You work hard. You play hard. But it's, it's, it's you know, for, for whatever, I, I don't think I'd be doing what I, what I do now if I hadn't done that. Is, is it the people and the camaraderie that has kept you in the industry for so long? Um, not being afraid of hard work, I think, is, is, is you know, a massive part. If, 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 you're, if you're dealing with animals and you're not prepared to work hard, you can, you can fluff these things up as much as you want, but it's, it's, it's hard graft. The animals has always got to come first. So whether it's raining, whether it's beating down with sunshine, you know, you, you, you've got to do the animal first. And so if you're not prepared to do that, it's, it's, it's not the job for you. But it's definitely, it's definitely made me... You know, when when you go out, if 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 you didn't turn up the next morning because you've you you've got a hangover or what have you, <laughs> you 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 make the the other guy in the next door room's got to muck your horses out. So it's not long before you're told in no uncertain terms to get your backside out into the yard. And so I I, I just think anyone I've ever known from from that's that's worked in racing from when they were very young, whatever job they do, I think they've got a good work ethic. You know, you know, you know, some of these Premier League footballers, you know, they, they twist their ankle or they, they get a little knock and they don't want to do this and they don't want to do that. Because they've had, you know, they, 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 they're so pampered. Um, whereas, you know, you get someone like, you know, AP McCoy and these, 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 you know, Brian Hughes at the moment, brilliant, brilliant role models. And, you know, above everything, it's their work ethic that, that sets them apart. And how did you find that switch from riding into the media? Was that quite tough going from, you know, you mentioned the camaraderie and sort of losing that in the weighing room? Yeah, I mean, times, times, you know, whatever job you do, times have changed, you know, attitudes change. So, you know, it's a completely different place, the weighing room, I, I would assume, than it, than it was when I was riding. But I, I really did miss it. I, it, look, I, the game rather gave me up rather than I decided to, to stop riding. 
I think I retired. I started riding when I had my first professional ride when I was 18. Um, and, you know, I, I rode through till I was till about 31 or two. And I, and I had the chance, the old racing channel just started having a few different guests. And so I was a guest on that. And then, and then things just moved on, you know, and I was very lucky. And then I got a chance to present and then, and then, yeah, so it was, it, it, it without being big headed, it was, it was a very easy transition for me. Um, and to be honest, you know, I've been much, much more successful <laughs> in my second career, which <laughs> that, that I was in my, in my first career, but obviously I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have got the chance to sort of start in broadcasting halfway up the ladder, if you like, if I hadn't had the experience I had when I was, when I was riding. Um, and I still, still probably, I still probably, even when I'm broadcasting now, I don't think it infuriates some people, but I still have a, a jockey's attitude. Um, I, you know, I think like a jockey now, I enjoy watching jockeys ride and, and, you know, I can see which ones you know, I have my own personal favorites because as I said, I like, I like people, whatever they do in life to give a hundred percent. And I, I want someone to want it more than someone else. And, you know, you can see some jockeys just want it. And that's, that's what I like to watch. And what do you think has contributed towards that success when you switch from a jockey and now you're a very successful well. TV presenter? <laughs> what what do you think has contributed to that? Is it the, the hard work, your work ethic? You obviously work very hard. Is it the fact you come across genuine? Is it, you know, what, what do you think contributed towards that I, success? Do, do you know... I, I, if I'm if I'm really honest, I, I, I work. I, I don't mind saying now without being big head. I, I work mm -hmm. as hard as I possibly can. I and I I'm a hundred percenter. Whether whether it's whether it's good enough, I put a hundred percent into it. But the other thing that I I, I learned at a very early stage of broadcasting is that the viewer will always see through you if you're if you're not being yourself. Um, it, it's very easy to see people that are that are putting you know putting an act on and and I. You know, I do loads of different things. I haven't really had any formal training, <laughs> as you can see, for broadcasting. But, <laughs> but it, but yeah, you know, I, I just do what I do. If you see what I mean, and and it, and it's and it's worked well for me. And, and you work with lots of good people. You know, all the experienced people. You know, you know, Ed Chamberlain at ITV is absolutely first class broadcaster. Um, I was lucky enough to work on on Radio Five Live with Cornelius, and I said, again, you know, first class broadcaster. Um, so you know that really helps. You know, on Sky, Alex Hammonger, they're all they're all so professional that it's a bit like sort of a horse in a big yard. You get dragged along, and you start hopefully improving because they're so good. <laughs> what would you give as your best piece of advice to someone? looking to start out in the, not just in the media, but in the industry as a whole. In, do you know what, it's not, not just in racing, it's, it's in life. Don't be afraid of knockbacks. Just, just go, if you've got something and you've got a goal, go for it. it, it and, and, and that's been my mantra all the way through. And, you know, people's um, level of success or their, their idea of what success is, you know, if you're, if you're climbing the mountain, obviously, you know the the your the most successful people actually get to the summit and that's and that that's absolutely brilliant well done but you can still be successful and only you've got halfway you know you, you've got to you've got to have i'm i'm you know believe it or not i i look i wrote i wrote i don't know 250 odd winners or something as a as a jockey but i was lucky enough to ride a winner at the Cheltenham festival 
I, I rode a Welsh national winner. I rode some very good horses. And when I left, I, you know, I can honestly say I was really proud and, and, and surprised of how, how well I did. I, I, you know, and, and that was really just down to sheer determination. You know, I, I've, I've got you know, a little bit of ability, but not, not that much riding ability. And it was just because I, I wanted it so much. And I feel, you know, when, when I, you know, when, as I said, when I left, I, I just felt, I've thought, you know, you've done all right there, son, you know, and, and then, and then you move on to the next thing. And I don't know if you're, if you're positive, positive things seem to happen to positive people. And, you know, if you go into something, it's a bit like you're going into a fence. If you go into it, woo, 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 you're only ever going to see a short stride. If you go in with confidence, leaving the horse to, you know, ride him on a longer rein and just let him go into, he's got the option then. He can still go short if he wants to. But of course, if he wants to, he can then be brave and take it on. And, and you've got to be like that with life. If you, don't, if you don't go in thinking, yes, I can get there. And, you know, just because we're not all going to be AP McCoys, we're not all going to be John Inverdales, we're not all going to be, you know, the, the, the top people. So just sometimes you just have to be satisfied with what you've got. Was there any fear when you first started on ITV in front of the cameras in front of millions of people? It was quite interesting. If you, as, as I said, look, if you don't aim for the, you know, if you want to be the best in whatever industry you're in. And when I was working for, for the old racing channel and then for you know, the first at the races, um, when Channel 4 was going, I always felt like I, you know, I, I felt like I was good enough or I could have bought something to it. And then I just never got the, never got the call. And then when ITV um, started, I was rather hoping I would, but in typical fashion, I was, I was in a, a pub garden uh, having a bit of lunch and even a little bit of food. And um, <laughs> we were, and then I just got the phone call off on the producers and said, you know, look, we, you know, we want to give you a run out. And they offered me, I think, I can't remember what it was now, something like just 12 days a year. And then we went to the, we had the sort of big practice um, at Cheltenham. And they were really, they really you know, impressed me. And so they said, well, we want to change your contract. We want to give you 50 days. And so, you know, so it was really, really good. And I don't know, I, 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 wa I want to be, I want to improve all the time and I want to be as good as I can be. But... If I'm really honest, I, I, I'm not, I don't get nervous because I, I, I make sure I do, I do a lot of homework and so I know my subject. And so I, it's, it's my opinion. I don't care. I won't back down. If, if I think I, if I say something, I, it's because I genuinely believe it. it might be wrong, but I still, I still genuinely believe it. And so that's why I don't get, I just get nervous. I think you've got to get a bit jittery if you don't mm -hmm. get a little bit on, on your toes. You know, when you're the first Royal Ascot or, you know, I did the winning interviews a couple of times, you know, for, for the Grand National. And, you know, you think you're doing that in front of 10 million people. Is there um, anyone that makes you nervous to interview? Like, who would you get nervous interviewing? Um, Ryan Moore can be a, can be a challenge. <laughs> um, so I, I would always start off, you know, with a, with a, with a positive and, and then you'll find that people will then will relax and and you'll get a much better interview out of them you know because because sport is about whether you like it or not it's about winning and losing and so i i, I love to promote the winners and i love people whether it be trainers owners jockeys that show emotion when they win i love it when people go across the line <laughs> and punch the air because is there, is there someone at the moment that's 
you find particularly inspiring jockey or trainer? There's not, I mean, look, the, I think the, the way the jockeys have adapted with the media, because whether you like it or not, the, the, you know, things have changed and the jockeys now on the whole are absolutely fantastic. And they realize it's a shot window for them. You know, if, if they go out and, and you, you know, if any of your jockey ever asked me, I said, just, just say what you know with a smile on your face and be enthusiastic. You know, just, just, you know, just, you know, come across as what you're doing. You're enjoying your job. So come across like that. And, and they're absolutely first class. I, I cannot think of a jockey, uh, both flat and jumps now, especially the ones coming through that, that aren't extremely helpful. And, you know, sometimes when they're not, I would often say, you know, if there's a young apprentice or something, I'd say, look, if you want to have a hand in a, or you want to do a couple of dummy interviews, I'm, I'm more than willing to, to help you out because I, I don't know, I feel sort of, I, I, I feel that racing, it's, it's my game as much as anyone else. And I, and I want it to be well represented. You know, mm. sometimes if someone gives an awful interview, you think, oh, that looks desperate for them. And it looks desperate for mm. racing. And, and I just want it to, to look good you know I, I do sugarcoat lots of things but that's just the way I am you know and what's the best piece of advice that you've been given for your career from anyone in racing you must have been given some fairly interesting advice back in the day <laughs> don't ever do it don't ever do it um there's been there's been someone I tell you who was really really good to me was um Richard Pittman um obviously he had sort of similar way well, much more successful jockey than I but he 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 he's a, he's a jockey then he started into broadcasting he had his own way of doing things but he he spoke you, you always believe what he said and he and he always said it with a smile on his face so you know there, there's a lot of help out there but you you've got to have the, the confidence to go to go for it um it was I, I yeah I, there's a a lad who got unfortunately got badly injured in France uh Jacob Pritchard Webb and I went to see him the other day. He was um, Joe Hughes, who trains out in France. And I went to see Jacob the other day when he was in Oaksy House for a few days. And I didn't know him from Adam. And 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 I was I, I phoned up AP because I thought, oh, well, I just had someone to hold my hand because I, I didn't know him and I didn't know how awkward it was going to be. Um, unfortunately, he's paralysed. And so, um, anyway, I went to see him. And I don't think I've had a more enjoyable hour and a half in my life. We just sat there and laughed and joked and chatted. And then I went away and, uh, you know, I, I, I'll admit my bottom lip was going a bit because this guy was so brave. You know, he's so and so enthusiastic. You know, he's going to have low points and, and I suspect he has had plenty of low points. But what a fantastic individual. What a, you know, you know how, you know, almost had, how dare I ever feel sorry for myself when, 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 you, when you meet someone like that. It was, it was absolutely inspirational for me. Um, you know, and the other day I, I interviewed um, Andy Irvin, who unfortunately um, Zoe Davison recently passed away. The trainer mm. she'd had, she'd been battling with cancer, and I interviewed him, and I nearly broke down. I'm so soft. I, I, I nearly broke down during the interview because you know the the I don't know, and I, and I think perhaps it's the same in lots of other industries. I don't know, but in racing there seems to be so much camaraderie, and everyone you know there's always going to be winners and losers, but everyone just seems to be looking after their each other's backs and I and I and I like that well thank you so much Luke but before you go you've got to answer our quick fire five. Oh no <laughs> okay I'm not great at quizzes <laughs> <laughs> don't worry it's about well-being so. oh dear 
<laughs> Fill in the blank. I am happiest when. I can't say when I've got a can of lager in my hand. Can you? When I'm on a horse. <laughs> when I am feeling overwhelmed, I... I normally start crying. I'm a bit soft. I'm a bit soft. I'm a a bit emotional, I am. I cry at everything. I even cry at um, the repair shop, so that doesn't really say much for me, does it? We love that. (laughs) Uh, Question three. My one top tip for looking after your well-being is? Um, Be happy in yourself. Just try and, you know, don't, don't, don't aim too high, but just be satisfied sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a there's a lot to be said for just being satisfied with what you've got you know whether it's not perhaps what you dreamt of at 10 years ago but quite often if you're if you've got a job that you enjoy you should be happy doing that you know not everyone could be millionaires such great advice and number four some can you give us something a person a book or a film that's inspired you recently my favorite film ever is pale rider clint eastwood um i've started because i'm a half wit uh i and i can't i can't sit down long enough to read I, i've started listening to audiobooks and a lot of the jockeys actually i've, I've now found out listen to audiobooks i don't yeah, normally like traveling. yeah i don't normally like racing autobiographies but barry gerrity's was absolutely first class and he's a he's a great advert for for people that have worked their way up through you know and and done very well but through through hard work but i listen to lots of audiobooks i like uh, true true life spy thrillers Okay, and final question. Can you give us a horse to follow? The horse that I would like to win at the Cheltenham Festival is a horse called Porlock Bay. Uh, I used to to have a horse called Porlock Bay who was absolutely brilliant for me and supplied me my best ever days racing. He won on my 50th birthday. Um, It was a three horse race at Lockinge. But anyway, this (laughs) Porlock Bay um, actually was a good horse in France and he ran really well the other day at Wing Canton, first run over three miles. Um, and I think he'll cause a bit of an upset at the at the festival. I really do. So Will Biddick on board. Paul Ott Bay is my horse to follow. But as everyone knows that watches ITV or Sky Sports Racing, I'm a desperate judge. <laughs> I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Arvind Chidi, who has had a fascinating career journey into the industry from growing up in a non-horsey background in North London to now being based in Sydney as part of the Godolphin Flying Start programme. It's quite an inspirational journey that you've had, Arvin. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to share my experience and my story uh, with your wonderful listeners. And currently you're in Australia, aren't you? Where are you? Whereabouts are you in Australia and where are you up to with the Flying Start programme? I'm currently in the, um, the second year uh, in the Australian phase of the Godolphin Flying Start. And I'm based in Sydney, New South Wales in Australia. Um, very, very lucky uh, to be here. It's, uh, it's an amazing city. And I'm currently doing my externship with um, Kit Collective. It's a creative marketing agency um, focused on the thoroughbred uh, industry. And it, it was started, uh, the owner and the, the mind behind it was a former Godolphin Flying Start graduate in Vicky Leonard. 
So can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into racing? Because as Lauren said, you're from a non-horsey background and grew up in London. So it's fascinating to hear how you actually came about getting into racing and ending up on that programme. Yeah, no, it's, um, as, you, like, as you said, I grew up in uh, Edmonton in North London and there's not many horses or greenery or fields or trees, <laughs> to be honest. You're pretty much surrounded by tower blocks um yeah concrete yeah but I was I was very lucky that from a young age my dad used to take me to Epsom to watch the to watch the derby um we used to be in the infield uh with all the fun fairs and and everyone like camping and and getting the like sitting on top of uh buses and vans to get a, a view of Tottenham Corner um and I remember my early, the earliest racing memory I have is uh Galileo winning the 2001 derby uh, since then I've just been a fan of racing um, I followed it um, like a, like you would follow a football team like you follow any sports team um, you know my first love is Liverpool Football Club admittedly but then racing <laughs> racing is, is oh, oh controversial <laughs> but um, yeah so followed racing since I could remember um, but I, not in any sort of capacity just as a fan um, when I was eight, I took the traditional steps. Um, my parents are very, very, my parents are from Mauritius and they're very big on education. So my, my sister and I were very much told uh, GCSEs, A-level, university, then you can do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, my sister took the traditional route um, and I did for a short time. Um, I went to uh, Manchester when I was 18 after doing my A-levels. And um, didn't do too great in my A-levels. Um, my highest grade was in geography. So I was like, oh, well, apparently I'm, I must be good at geography. So let me do that as a degree. Because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was just kind of told by my mum. Um, and then in the second year of university uh, in physical geography, we had a trip to Wales. Um, and that time we were stud studying sediment erosion. So it's December. We're in Wales. Um, <laughs> I'm in in a river collecting rocks. So you collect pebbles and you look at um, how smooth they are to determine how much the rivers eroded them. And I could remember thinking, I'm bloody freezing and this is <laughs> awful. This is just terrible. Um, and yeah. And you thought, how the hell do I get to Sydney in the winter? Instead? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a crystallizing moment for me. I was just, um, I was just like, I'm not happy. I'm not miserable. And uh, if I'm being completely honest, I wasn't really working hard. Um, I was kind of just listing through life. I uh, had no drive, no determin determination, no motivation, was kind of just doing it for the sake of doing it. So I took the decision to drop out of university. Um, I just was so miserable and I just wasn't enjoying it. Um, and then I took a, a, a year or so out just to travel to kind of just get a bit more life experience. And in that time, the only thing that stuck with me, the only constant in my life was I would always be on the racing post, checking the results, um, following all racing news, just making sure I was up to date what was going on in, in, in the thoroughbred industry. Um, so when I came back home, um, when I came back to Manchester, where I'd been living at the time, um, I did what most people do now and anyone will do now when they're trying to find information. I turned to, to Google. And I remember just typing in, how do you get into horse racing into Google? And I was lucky enough to find a careers in racing website. Mm -hmm. 
And that was pretty much how my journey started in the in the industry. Um, careers in racing had a wealth of information about um, how you can uh, the steps you need to take to be a be a part of the the thoroughbred industry. And then through, through careers in racing, I found about a, about the Northern Racing College, um, now uh, na the National Horse Racing College, um, and. I was like, wow, there's there's a school uh, where you can go to learn to ride thoroughbred racehorses. This is unbelievable. Um, and I just remember reading the website and thinking, at the time I was 21, I was like, wow, can I can I do this? Am I too tall? Am I too too old? Um, am I am I crazy? What am I thinking? And I thought, well, go to one of the taste of days and just see what it's like. Maybe get more information. Speak to one of the instructors and. When I went to the Taste of the Day, in, in, it's in uh, Rosington near Doncaster. Um, I remember going down there, taking the train from Manchester Piccadilly. And uh, I remember going down there, seeing that was the first time I ever saw horses. Um, you know, in, in, there were ex-retired race horses, you know, and I was like, wow, these guys have raced at York, at Goodwood. They're like living legends to me. You know, it's like me, mm -hmm. meeting Stephen Gerrard or someone. Um, and I remember just like patting them. Uh, and I was just I was like, this is incredible. Um, so I got more information uh, and they were like, there's a place for you on our, on our January 2014 program if, if you're really keen and interested. And they alleviated all my fears about having never worked with horses, have never ridden. Um, and they made me feel quite confident and comfortable that they would be able to teach me. And um, so January 2014 is when I enrolled into the Northern Racing College, their 14-week their foundation course. Um, and we're in now February 2021, and I've never looked back since that moment. I've never left the industry since. Um, and that, easily the scariest thing I ever done was to drop out of uni to, to, to learn to, to work with horses, work with thoroughbreds and learn to ride. But easily the best thing I've ever done in my life, um, unquestionably. It has given me more opportunity than I could ever dream about and has... Um, it was the only time in my life that I genuinely felt like I had a purpose, I had drive, I had passion, and it made me be the best me I could possibly be, um, all because of the racehorse, the animal. Can you tell us a bit about the steps between leaving the Northern Racing College to making it onto the Flying Start programme? Yeah, no, it was... Uh... Yeah, it was, yeah, it's quite, it's been quite a journey. Um, so when I was at the NRC, I was, uh, I was very, uh, let's just say average when it came to riding. <laughs> um, I remember I spent more time, you know, on the ground that I did on their backs. How did you push through that and not give up? And, and I guess that's, that shows your kind of determination and motivation to keep going. I want to say stupidity, but um, the, tr <laughs> the, the truth is uh, the support structure. Um, um, you've had a bad fall or you've got run away with on the gallops. You know, you, you get off the horse, you're, you're down. You're thinking, I've done a, given this a, you know, a bad ride. Or We all tend to focus on, you might ride four lots and given three really good rides and one bad one, but you focus on the bad one. The people around you really help you, um, you know, give you the confidence uh, to, to, to carry on, to believe in yourself. Um, but it was just an incredible, incredible experience, incredible learning. Um, so they do an amazing job of teaching you from everything, from riding, from care of the horses, um, from welfare, from just all aspects of being a very, very good horseman. And then at the end of the program, they help you find your first job in the industry. So I was lucky enough to go work for Carl Burke in Midland. 
and he's 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 trained you know like Lawrence and Quiet Reflection, um, you know. Lord Chanakil, he's, he's a phenomenal trainer. Um, and I went there as his racing secretary. So I did all his like entries and declarations, transportation, owner communication. Um, that, so that was a great learning experience. But um, I had only just start, started learning to ride at the NRC and I wasn't ready to give that up. I just wanted to continue to learn, continue to get better. Um, I wasn't very good at the time and, and I just knew I really wanted to learn and the only way I could learn is through practice. Um, so I spoke to Carl and, um, he, you know, we, we discussed my options and, uh, I, I realized that I would need to kind of move on to kind of pursue the ride inside of it. And I thoroughly enjoyed my time as racing secretary and it's some, it says a job role I would highly recommend and think it's an incredible, you learn so much about the, the industry from behind the scenes. But the, the, I'd been bitten by the riding bug and I just couldn't let that go yet. Um, so my friend at the NRC had started working for Michael Appleby and he suggested I come down, um, ride a couple of lots. And after that, Mick gave me a job, um, you know, foolishly, I would say, because, you know, I, <laughs> I, I fell off a few times there too. Um, so I worked for Mick for about, you know, uh, 14 months, um, riding five, six a day, just really practicing every day getting better and better um and it was around that time about in 2015 um it's around that time i discovered um i was watching uh new market um and the good Dolphin flying start sponsored the zetland stakes and i was remember seeing seeing it on uh, on channel on itv racing and i was thinking oh well that seems like a that's an interesting program so i typed into went back to the went back to google you know typed into google uh and then found out there's this this all expensive paid scholarship where you get to go to Ireland, England, America, Australia, Dubai. You know everything's paid for. You get to work in all these racing jurisdictions. You get to meet all these incredible people. After reading about it, I did more research, and one of the requirements was you have to have a, a degree. So. Um, after working at Mix, I, I told Mix on my plan to apply and that I was looking to go back to university. And um, I went back to university in London, uh, London Metropolitan University. But this time I decided to study business management um, because I wasn't going back in back to Wales in a river. Just no, no way. <laughs> um, and then at that time, I met Dean Ivory, who trains in Radley in Hertfordshire, which is about an hour or so uh, out of uh, out of uh, North London, just past the M25. Um, and Dean was very kind to, to offer me a job, um, which balanced my university study. So I would ride out in the morning, then I would drive back home, shower, get on the tube and go, go, go to uni to study. So I, I did that for three years. And in that time, um, Dean was Dean Ivory was at his at its peak. We we won the Stewards Cup with Lancelot Dulac. We won the Champion Sprint with Le Breeze Breeze. Um, you know, Kudrizi won a Sugar Cup. We we some of the best moments I've had have been at Dean Ivory. Uh, an amazing place to work, and we've had some of the best horses um, that I've been really lucky nice to be a part of. Well, yeah, guy. wonderful man. Yeah, very wonderful. Great staff. You know, the head like Chris. Yeah. Just a great great place to work and. Um, they really, really helped me along the way. And for the three years, uh, I built my confidence. I, I got to do things I never dreamed I, I would be able to do. Um, more importantly, I got to ride some of the best horses. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be able to say I sat on Group One horses now, which is something I never 
dared to say six years ago or never thought I'd be able to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, um, during the summers, I would, uh, during the summers, uh, I would uh, work for the British Horse Racing Authority. I got in touch with um, Michelle Douglas and Zoe Elliott. Uh, they work in the industries, people and development department, and they created Careers in Racing, the, the website actually, which I first used to get into the industry. So it all kind of became full circle. And then my final year, 2019, um, I wrote my dissertation on employee retention in the thoroughbred industry. Um, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, the stable staff crisis isn't isolated to Britain, it's worldwide. Everyone's struggling for staff, um, whether that be in studs or training yards. Um, and it was something I was really passionate about because I was fortunate enough to find my passion. And I'm sure there's millions of people, young people who want to, who would find their passion in the thoroughbred industry, but you know, they struggle in terms of pathways when struggle in terms of work-life balance or um, the many other issues we have. Um, so that was something I was really keen on. Um, so I did that. And in my final year, when I wrote my dissertation, I also applied for the Godolphin Flying Start. Uh, graduated university in July 2019 and flew to Ireland for the Flying Start in August 2019. Um, and Arvin, you're making that sound like it's the easiest step in the world, but that <laughs> program is incredibly competitive. What do you think? I mean, I think we can tell talking to you how passionate you are and how dedicated you are. But is that you think what stood you apart when you applied for that program? Oh, if I'm honest, I'm not too sure what they saw in me. (laughs) Um, uh, A lot of luck, I think, went into it. But um, yeah, so I I applied in January. The applications open in January. uh, Sorry, the applications open in December of each year, but they close in in early Feb, late January. So I applied and then my interview was in about February time. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite a process like uh, of, I think, almost like 150 applicants a year, only 12 scholarships are offered each year. So, um, you know, it, it's, it is competitive, but um I, I think they, they must have seen how, how much I, I, I've loved, loved what the industry has done for me. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, the, the one thing I always say is you, you come for the horses, but you stay because of the people. Um, the people in our industry, the ones who are willing to teach you, the ones who, who are willing to pick you up after you've had a bad fall, give you confidence, um, is, is incredible. And genuinely, the opportunities you have in the thoroughbred industry are second to none. You can't do what we can do um in any other sport but any other industry um the fact yeah. that you can take your skill from england learning to ride or learning to work with yearlings and go to australia and get a job so easily or go to america it's 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 incredible do you think i think the obvious question is to ask you where you think you're going to end up but i wonder if actually listening to you talk it's not about that at all it's about the amazing experience you're just having on the way as part of the racing community yeah, my mum asks me that all the time. Like, what job are you going to do after the program? <laughs> to be honest, I still can't answer that. Um, I, I, yeah. Is there anything it's, it's that an... sort of piqued your interest through the through the program? Yeah, um, I've loved learning. Like, they give you such a well-rounded experience. Like, I've mostly come from working with trainers and riding out, but learning like confirmation and bloodstock and pedigree analysis. 
And that's all been like an incredible learning opportunity. But I just can't seem to escape that eight-year-old who loved to watch Galileo win the derby. I just love racing. Uh, the sport is, you know, I wake up Saturday morning just excited for for the for the races and just I love racing. And 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 inevitably, that's probably the pathway I would like to like to go down. Um, long term, I think it's very important that everyone gives back to the sport. Um, and that's something I would like to do, um, give back to the people who've given me so much. I wouldn't be here, you know, um, on the flying start if it wasn't for the wonderful people I've got to work with at all the yards, at, at the racing school, um, at the BHA, at Careers in Racing. All those people have played such a huge part in developing me and teaching me. So long term, give back and hopefully inspire people to, to try and um, pursue a career in the thoroughbred industry because, you um, it really can change your life and uh, that's no exaggeration because it's changed mine unbelievably. So quite often Tina when we're thinking about going into a career in the racing industry we're thinking about being hands-on in a yard um, but there are lots of other interesting roles around that and I'm happy to say we're joined now by Hetty Keys who's a yearling sales organizer at TATS. Hi Hetz. Hello. And can you tell us a bit about your job what's involved day to day? Yeah um, my job day to day is part of the bloodstock team so um, how it works is each sale kind of has a sale organizer who's first point of contact for that particular sale um, as you said, I'm in charge of the yearling sales, which is quite full on and actually takes up quite a lot of the year. Um, we start in the in February, um, getting the flyers ready, publications ready to advertise the sales. And then people would put the nominations into me, kind of correlate all the information, get pedigrees from Weatherbees, um, get staff, um, members of our team, grade those pedigrees. And then we get guys out on the road looking at the yearlings throughout the year, throughout the spring and into the summer. Um, and I help organise those visits um, while keeping an eye on race results, keeping the pedigrees up to date and then really liaising with clients and trying to get the yearlings in the correct sales that we think is most appropriate for them um, and then helping putting the catalogues together and keeping everything to show on the road, meeting deadlines um, and basically getting the sales um, up and running, um, auctioneer books at the sales times, making all the, sure the updates are up to date on the rostrum um, and just making sure that kind of clients are happy, liaising with emails, withdrawals um, and just kind of helping the sale stay on the road <laughs> sounds pretty full-on but really interesting yeah it's really varied and everyone thinks well what do you do when the sale's not on but because there's always other catalogues on the go and lots of members of the team need backup and things it's yeah it's really varied um i really enjoy it i was um, gonna say are there certain pressure points when yeah. the sales are on how do you deal with that pressure <laughs> <laughs> besides chocolate uh, is my probably go-to um <laughs> It's we're in a big team, so we all kind of help each other. And because we're very lucky with the catalogue deadlines, you know exactly when you're going to be really busy, so you can kind of brace yourself. Um, I've been doing it for quite a long time now, <laughs> um, so I actually generally really enjoy the you know the build up the, the relationship you build up with clients that we've been dealing with on a year to year basis. Um, so yeah, it, it's really varied, and that's kind of what makes the the job really fun, and that's why we do it. And. How did you make your way into the bloodstock side of the yeah. industry? Where did you start? Well, I've always been interested in horses, typical horsey girl. My parents have always been in racing. My dad was an amateur jockey, 
my brother point to points a lot. Um, I never was good enough, quick enough mucking out to be um, on the hands-on side. Um, <laughs> I've always ridden, but I was it was never going to be for me working in a yard. I wanted to be more in an office. Um, I've always enjoyed watching racing pedigrees that's involved with it. Um, so I did the BHA grad course um, after university, um, had a placement at Weatherby's, um, stayed there for a while, got to see all angles of the job. I started in the bank, then went to racing admin on the ownership desk. And that uh, was part of the BHA scheme? Yeah, so yeah. I, you do, from the BHA scheme, half of that is a placement, and I was there at Weatherby's for two months, and then for some bizarre reason they asked me to stay for a bit longer, so I covered some maternity leave there, and it was at the end of that maternity leave that a job at Tattersalls was advertised, um, and that was nearly 15 years ago. <laughs> and you're still here. Yes. So what tools do you think you kind of or skills did you pick up from the BHA grad scheme that have helped you in your current role? I think it's just things like um, being organised and how you think of, you see racing and you just think, you know, it's obviously all these great people that work in the yard, but there are so many, the back the background, um, there's loads of other things that um, you need to be organised. Um, and it's just keeping organised, working in, in a routine, working to deadlines is obviously really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having an open mind, you know, you never know what the next phone call is going to be. And I think having that kind of mindset definitely helps you. Mm-hmm. And um, did your time at Weatherby's give you a good background in and the BHA scheme? Did that give you a sort of wider view of the industry? Definitely, definitely. And the people I got to meet, you know, the people were on the grad scheme, they went into betting shops went into work on race courses loads of different areas and it gave me like an overall like okay there's even more things to what I thought was available um what I want to do um and we had some talks by some great people when based at the racing school um and completely opened my eyes to yes this is definitely the industry I wanted to work in and then it was just obviously finding my kind of niche and where I was happiest. Do you think that you have to have that passion for the industry to to work in it successfully I think it definitely helps I said you know um it is obviously a bit of a man's world so being a woman I was you know thinking right well what do I want to do um and I think having that passion and actually the um, the love of horses and racing and trying to marry them together I was there's so many opportunities you just got to be able to look when know where to find them mm. um and hopefully you know they are out there for people and um, You mentioned it being a very male-dominated environment. Can you talk to us a bit more about that? The bloodstock world does seem to be very male-orientated. How's that been for you? (laughs) It is, but, you know, um, I think it's changing all the time. Um, there's now although there's not female auctioneers here at Tats yet there are in the, in the in the rest of the world and I think hopefully it might be only a time before there's more female auctioneers over in England um, I'm always one you know if there's a barrier you like to break it down absolutely um, I'm all for that and you know a company like Tats has been really good and give me the opportunities to progress my career to be a sale organiser um, and now hopefully I'm in you know I help organise one of the most certainly the most um, successful yearling sales in the world um, so it just shows if you want to do it and you're passionate and you're efficient at your job then male or woman man or woman it doesn't really matter yeah there's opportunities out there yeah yeah definitely and what advice would you give to people who are looking to progress 
their career in racing certainly just to keep asking questions if you're not sure of who to go to where to start just find someone even if it's just googling something um, like the racing school companies like tats if you want to start in the bloodstock world you know there's always someone that you can email and ask questions you know who can i get in touch with if i want to get some work experience i constantly have emails people asking me and even if i don't know i'll ask someone else who might know um, and it's just getting enough experience you it's so much down to word of mouth and getting your name about that if you can just spend a few days weeks whatever with shadowing someone and gain such valuable experience and then you never know where that can lead so just don't be afraid to ask um, we can always help at tats we always try um, and certainly if i don't know i'll always try and find someone that does good advice don't ask don't get that's very true <laughs> So I'm happy to say we're joined now by Sarah Fanning, who is the project lead for Racing Welfare's Careers Advice and Training Service. And Sarah has had um, lots of different roles within the industry, and she's perfectly placed now to be leading this service. So it's great to be able to talk to you today, Sarah. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Sarah. Now, you've had quite an interesting career yourself within racing. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved and why you got involved and a little bit about what you've done in the industry? Yeah, sure. So um, I was kind of a typical pony mad um, youngster. Luckily, um, we had a yard just up the road from us, Mark Dwyer's Oaks Farm Stables, who um, started off doing sales prep and breaking and pre-training all that kind of stuff so I used to go and ride out there on a Saturday morning and in my holidays from that job I kind of got a real passion for the sales side of things but in the meantime um went to do a degree in business at Leeds University so my first job out of uni was as a management trainee at a mushroom farm near Google <laughs> Um, there's an old uh, saying for trainers about uh, owners and mushrooms isn't there <laughs> <laughs> well I can tell you it definitely wasn't very glamorous um, but it was probably the best grounding uh, in in jobs like you could have really because I was put in charge of teams of pickers who had obviously done this job for quite a while and they were quite challenging to manage because they weren't always the most motivated and would sort of run rings around us youngsters but um but if you could get them on side they were brilliant and they would do you know they'd work really hard for you but it just kind of showed me that you had to work alongside people and get stuck in um to earn their respect because if you know if you hadn't have done that then then there was no chance of getting them to do any work so so that was a really good grounding but unfortunately I got well probably fortunately really I got made redundant after five months um so I was really desperate to get into racing in some capacity. Um, so I wrote to all the race courses in Yorkshire and asked for a job. And luckily, York were the, um, were the only ones that replied, actually, but came back to me and offered me a role in their ticketing department. I did that for a little while. And then luckily, the girl that was marketing executive there, she, she left and moved on. So they offered me her role. Um, so I did that job for maybe two, three years. I wasn't really intending on leaving, but one of my good friends said um, she'd seen the Daily Flying Start, as it was known at, at the time. It's obviously good old Flying Start now. 
Um, she'd seen it advertised and thought it would be a good idea for me to apply. So I did, um, not imagining for a minute that I'd get on it, um, but did so. So that um, took up the next two years of my life around the world, which is a fantastic experience and learned loads. And then I came back um, and was offered a job in the Daly Racing office working under John Ferguson. That was kind of led to my next role because I, I, I guess I kind of missed the hands-on contact with the horses. So I thought, well, what better way to get experience than to go to Mark Johnson's and become a yard manager there. So, so a role came up, um, which I took. Um, and, and that was, it, it was an amazing experience. You know, you were managing a team of kind of 12 staff plus part-time staff on a daily basis. Um, I had a yard of 30 odd two-year-olds you know, once I got into it, it, it was it was just um, it was just brilliant, really, to, to work with a team like that and and to gain so much experience in the veterinary side of things, training, um, you know, staff management, and then I kind of decided that training wasn't really a financial viable option. Um, about it. <laughs> so a role came up with Racing Welfare in Midlam, um, which I. I um, was successful in getting initially as a welfare officer and then when our um, structure changed slightly the opportunity came up to be regional manager for the north um, so I, I took that role and then um, not really through any planning um, I, I guess it's always been my sort of dream to, to have a yard of my own in some capacity um, and I've always had that passion for the bloodstock sales. Um, but to be honest, when, when I took this yard on, which just happens to be next door to where we live now, so it all kind of fell into place. It, it wasn't really my intention to, to particularly get into sales consigning or all that side of things. It was more to, um, to take courses out of training on rehab. And then I, I just kind of thought, mm, well, maybe I can do some sales prep and, and consign myself because like ultimately I've always sort of harbored that dream that's that's really what I'd love to do that that role of having my own yard fits very nicely with my part-time role here um heading up cats can you talk to us a bit more about cats and um the benefits of it for the industry yeah so cats is there to support everybody that um, works in the horse racing industry so regardless of whatever role you're in you're eligible for cat support and it's um, it's basically a careers advice service where you can access um, careers coaching or all kinds of practical and um, you know support and guidance around your career and developing your career uh, you can access training grants to um obviously develop um you spoke um earlier about your own career and um the different experiences you've had and transferring those skills from the yard into a more office based job can cats help if if people i think lots of people in the racing industry don't understand their own transferable skills um can you speak a bit about that yeah, absolutely. That's where careers coaching might come in. Um, so 
as you say, Lauren, I, I think that's kind of a common occurrence in the racing industry. They don't, people maybe don't realise that, you know, you have those skills working in the yard. You might be a great communicator because you're looking after a whole team of people. Um, your attention to detail, timekeeping, you're resilient because you're out in all weathers um, in the freezing cold like we all were last week. Um, so that, you know, they're all great skills to have and, and very, very transferable to any role, really. Um, so I think I think if somebody's been able to work in a racing yard, then they can probably do most jobs because, it, as we know, it is really hard work. Um, so, you know, CATS is there to help you realise those skills and um, and develop them and, and, you know, kind of put them into context in a different role. You know, you, that might be in the context of your CV, um, the way you sort of sell yourself. Um, so anyone that's listening who would like to to you know access that support through cats how do they get in touch yeah if they they can have a look at the um the cats website if they just want to have a little bit more information before referring themselves which is www.cats-racingwelfare.co.uk um and then if they want to access the service in detail and um and have some sessions of careers coaching then they can call our 24-hour support line um, which is 0800 6300 and just ask for a CATS referral and then they'll be contacted by somebody with an appointment with our careers coach. Huge thank you to all our guests today. Um, that was a really inspiring episode and I think the thing that I've taken away most is everyone's passion for the industry and not just the horses but the people involved and um it's been really uplifting actually to hear from all of our guests today yeah that real love for the industry like you say and not just for the horses but um the support that people have have had along the way from the from the racing community and also i just think that the guests were all inspiring weren't they because they've grabbed all the opportunities they can along the way and it shows that you know whatever opportunities do come up it can lead to something else and that's really inspiring and how many opportunities there actually are in the industry yeah like there's so many roles and so many jobs and and that's really clear and you know just to be aware of those transferable skills as well yeah um some people think oh well I you sort of pigeonhole yourself don't you sometimes and yeah actually the skills that you can take into another job that um you've learned along the way in racing so should we just highlight for people again I know Sarah mentioned it earlier but how to get in touch with the careers advice and training service yeah so anyone who's interested can call on 0800 6300 or you can visit the website at cats-racingwelfare.co.uk and there's a wealth of information and case studies on there so I hope you've all enjoyed that careers bonus episode and keep your eyes peeled for series two of on track of course which will be coming in the next few weeks yeah we're super excited so thank you for listening everyone and we'll see you then see you next time